Amen. I hope that, um, I don't know how long you've been saved, how long you've been walking with Jesus, but I do hope and pray that every year gets sweeter than the year before. Um, it's been uh, 45 years for me now. Um, I'll tell you, um, I'm more madly in love with Jesus than I ever have been in my life. And uh, just the things that he has done for me and for my family and the things I've seen him do in the hearts and lives of people like you and uh, in our church. And it's amazing. 22 years. I can't imagine uh, 22 years ago that I'd still be here 22 years later. I will say that when I came, my very first Sunday that I came here, I had a full head of hair. So you can see how traumatic this whole episode has been upon my body uh, over the last 22 years. I have no hair anymore. But uh, no, it's been, a, it's been a great 22 years. We've been up, down, all around as a church. But uh, overall, God has been very, very gracious and blessing us in many, many different ways. And we look forward uh, to the, the future that God has for us. And singing about the precious blood of Jesus, um, in my final message in this series that I'm doing on winning your war, uh, I've decided I'm going to set aside a Sunday uh, to, to um, conclude this series by presenting one of the most um, clear, practical um, explanations of the gospel of Jesus that I think that I could ever give because I want to equip you to be able to also give that clear presentation of the gospel of Christ to those around you, to those who come across your pathway. Uh, oftentimes, God gives us opportunities to share Christ, but then all of a sudden we're not sure what to say, what to do, how to approach it. So um, I'm going to put tools into your hands and, and walk you through that and, and do that clear presentation because uh, I want us equipped because I just believe that um, when we get on the other side of this pandemic thing that's going on and the election and everything else that is happening in our country, I believe that God is about to issue one of his final invitations. It's going to be an invitation like the world has never seen to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the saints of God need to be equipped to be able to sit down and say, here's how you come to faith in Jesus. This is why you need to come to faith in Jesus. This is what's going to happen if you don't come to faith in Jesus. God loves you, and he has provided a means by which you can have a relationship with your creator. So uh, that is what we're all about, right? Helping people take their next step towards God. Well, if you have a Bible, let's turn to Matthew chapter 5, and uh, you have, hopefully you picked up uh, some message notes, and they will be on the screen. So today we're in this, uh, this message on uh, winning your war. This is our sixth message in this series, and the title of this message is Freedom from Inner Vows. Freedom from Inner Vows. I don't know, um, I ask this question oftentimes to people, and I say, why, why do you think that there's so much addiction in our world? And immediately when I use the word addiction, people go to substance abuse, right? People are addicted to drugs, and certainly that's one form of addiction, but there are multiple forms of addiction that we as Americans deal with day in and day out. There's addiction to pornography and the, the addiction to overeating and to dieting and to shopping and to sleeping and to social media. And you can even be addicted to travel and even you can be addicted to a church uh, if you're not careful. And the reason why there is so much addiction in the world in which we live is simply this, because life is hard. Have you, have you discovered that? Sometimes life is easy, very manageable, but oftentimes life is just very hard and it is very difficult. And when we find ourselves in those hard places in life, um, there is no new technology, there is no substance, there is no pill that can make it easier. The best that the world has to offer you is a temporary distraction in order to delay the inevitable or to deny the inescapable. Life is just hard. The question is, how do we approach the hardness of life? The bottom line in this whole series has been this, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer, the gospel applied, I should say, and make sure I put that emphasis applied, not just acknowledged, uh, not just thought about, but the gospel applied is the answer to our world's problems. It's the answers, answer to your problem. Jesus does not offer us an escape from life, but what he does offer us is to equip us for life. And there's the distinction. 
Everybody just wants to pray to God and say, God, you know, help me escape this. Take this away. Don't make me go through this. I, I don't want to bear this burden. But that's not what God has promised. God promises us to equip us to persevere through those things, as James said in James chapter 1. He says, listen, consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, uh, when you encounter various trials, various you know, hard times in life because God's doing something within you if you will persevere through it. So rather than trying to pray it off of you, you want to say, okay, God, how are you equipping me? What are you equipping me to do? What do you want to see on the other side of this, this situation in my life? And we often realize that in the midst of all of this, uh, we are in the middle of a war. And that's really been the whole crux of this uh, series is winning your wars, not just winning a war, but winning your war in life whatever that war may be for you at this moment in time in your life. And because we have an enemy, Jesus says, this enemy has only one agenda and one agenda only, and that is to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, that can be fleshed out in many different ways. For example, he just may want to steal your peace and your joy. Do you know how many Christians there are who just kind of, you know, they're just drudging through life. Oh, you know, they've lost their peace and joy a long time ago with their walk with the Lord. You know, God, just get me through it. I mean, what's, their, what's their natural prayer? God, you know, please, may the rapture happen today. Take me out of the world. I don't want to be here anymore. And so we're always looking for that escape rather than being equipped in order to allow God to work out his will in and through our lives. Or he may want to come to kill your love for God. He, he wants to kill your trust in God. Because if Satan can kill your love and your trust in your heavenly Father, you don't have much left. Right? There's the, now you're going to start turning inward towards yourself and looking to yourself in order to deal with the issues that you deal with on a day-in and day-out basis. Or he seeks to destroy. Right? He wants, Satan has set his sights on destroying your marriage, on destroying you know, pertinent relationships in your life that destroy the relationship between you and your kids or, you know, family relationships, you, you name it. Our health, our testimony, he seeks to destroy all those things. Now, one of the avenues through which Satan operates is through the hard times in life. Those are times when we experience great hurt and pain and um, things happen. People said something, done something. We tend to respond to our deep woundedness with what I want to call inner vows. Inner vows. An inner vow is, um, you know, it, 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 it is a statement that you make that really opens you up to demonic deception. And in fact, these inner vows, as we're going to discover through this message, is they become more precious to us than even God himself, if push comes to shove. They become more precious to us, even God's will or God's word, because they, we are seeking to do something for ourselves, within ourselves. And so Paul reminded us that if we remain unfamiliar with the schemes of Satan, that he has a way of deceiving us and thus uh, you know, we feel confused and we feel rejected. So we have to learn how to uncover his schemes, to, um, to acknowledge his threat over our lives and our families, and to learn how he operates so that we can war against him. So when we are hurting, whether you've been abandoned, you've been abused, or you have been uh, betrayed by someone, when you are hurting and you don't want to experience that hurt again, that's when we begin to take things into our own hands. So as I said last week, the progression of the inner vow is simply this. You're hurt. Satan provides a lie. You adopt the lie as your thinking, your thought processes. So now you're, you're, you're um, living on lie-based thinking rather than truth-based thinking. Hurt the lie, and then you make the inner vow. And you believe in your heart of hearts that if you will follow this inner vow, that somehow, someway, it's going to protect you from further hurt or further betrayal or further pain uh, down the road in your life. And so generally speaking, an inner vow, and this is a, on top of your outline, an inner vow is a never again promise we make to ourselves. This is not a promise we're making to God. The inner vow has nothing to do with making promise to God. We're making this to ourselves. And so... Um, 
We think that this, gonna, this is going to keep ourselves safer. Never again will someone say this. Never again will someone cause this kind of pain. Never again. And so we, we make the vow that's based upon a lie. So let's look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 when it comes to oath vows and really a parallel of this uh, statement of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is uh, found in the book of James, right? So James was the half-brother of Jesus who was not a believer when Jesus was here on earth. It wasn't until after his resurrection that James came to faith in Christ, became one of the primary leaders in the early church and wrote an epistle called James, and he also talks about this issue of oaths or inner vows. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 33, Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but keep the oaths that you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for the city of, it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from whom? The evil one, right? So Satan is going to is going to kind of push you. So, example, when I experience deep hurt and pain, I may initially turn to the Lord, but if I don't think God's, like, moving fast enough, or uh, we're going to look at some examples of, of, of inner vows, uh, or, or God's not doing it the way that I, I would really like for him to do it, then we tend to back up and we make these inner vows and we take matters into our own hands. And so we're making this vow to ourselves. God gets kind of excluded, and what we've done is we've just opened up the door for Satan to kind of step in and to begin building what the Apostle Paul calls a mental fortress or a stronghold in your thought processes that begins to govern and direct your life because you are living your life on the basis of the way that you think. And so life, remember that um, words are very powerful, and vows that you speak over yourself have great power, and your life is always moving in the direction of your most dominant thinking. Now, you may know that you've made these vows more than like you didn't even realize that you made these vows, but they will, I'll show you ways that you're going to discover how they're there. But uh, needless to say, these are, these are vows that are deep within us in our mental thought processes that goes on over and over and over again like a tape recorder, and those dominant thoughts move our lives in a direction that oftentimes puts us at odds with God, and therefore we've just opened up the door of deception for Satan to step in and to begin doing his work in a much greater fashion than he was already doing before. Because God, remember, God creates Satan counterfeits, right? God creates covenants. If you look all through the scripture, God made covenant relationships. Covenants were God's vows. They were his statement. This is what I will do. I'm cutting this covenant. So you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a part of the new covenant relationship with God the Father. God established that covenant and says, here's what the covenant's about. I'm cutting the covenant. I'm overseeing the covenant. I will make sure the covenant is enforced and therefore walk in the covenant. Satan's going to come along and say, oh, you don't need that. No, 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 I've got a better way. Um, if we don't realize who it is that's injecting these things into our thought processes, his counterfeit is, no, you just need to make a vow with yourself. Cut God out, make the vow you will bypass future pain and hurt in this area of your life. All right, so let me give you a couple examples. For those of you who have perhaps have been betrayed by somebody, a deep betrayal, and it might be a spouse, it may be a friend, um, it could be a, a somebody who was um, a, a figure that you looked up to that you, you know may have been a coach or something in school, you've been deeply betrayed, and the inner vow is something like, you know what? I hurt so much that I'm never going to trust anyone ever again. Now, that seems like an innocent thing, right? I, I'm, I'm hurting so deeply, so badly, I will never open myself up to this kind of hurt and pain again. So the lie, the lie, here's the subtle lie that Satan has placed into your thought processes, is that you cannot trust anyone. Can't trust anybody. Uh-uh, you've opened yourself up, man. You've been betrayed more than one time. That just reinforces the lie. 
And so on the basis of that lie, the vow that you've made, the inner vow is, I must take care of myself because I'm the only one who can be trusted. And so you, um, you develop what we call an orphan spirit. See, an orphan spirit believes, like an orphan believes, uh, I have needs, and the only one who can meet my needs is me. Now, what is a, what is a follower of Christ in covenant relationship, what should be our thought processes? I have a heavenly father who has adopted me into his family. I am a son and daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He will take care of my every need. See, that's truth. Right? See, that's what God says through covenant. What Satan tries to get you to do through an inner vow is to say, now let's swallow the lie. I've been betrayed. I can't trust anyone. Therefore, if it needs to happen or get done, or if I need to protect myself, I'm the one who's going to have to do that. Or some of you, perhaps there's loneliness and um, deep-seated loneliness. And since people and God maybe have abandoned you, for example, you know, as you know, my story is my father left, you know, my mom raised five children. So there's that sense of abandonment. Uh, you know, the questions you begin to ask yourself as a child, you know, why did my dad leave? And, you know, why did he did not love us? Did he not care about us? And, and so you begin in your own mind, you think to yourself, you know what, um, I'm on my own. And because I'm on my own, I don't need anyone. I will take care of myself. And so this was kind of reinforced. I believe this lie it was kind of reinforced because people say to me all the time, because I had four sisters, I'm the only male in the family. Well, you know, Greg, you're the man of the house now. You need to take care of things. So I just reinforced the lie. I, Greg, I have to take care of everything. I have to be the man of the, the home. I have to make sure it gets done. And so... That lie gets reinforced. That vow gets reinforced. I just need to take care of myself. Some of you have been abused. And you've told someone else, maybe a pastor, a family member, a counselor. And as you begin sharing that experience, uh, it didn't go well. And, uh, and so the inner vow might be, well, not, I should have just kept this a secret. I shouldn't have told anyone. I should have just kept this to myself and worked it out on my own. And, and because you're believing the lie, the lie is I shouldn't get help. And the vow is I'm not going to talk about this with anyone ever. And you know how many people who are followers of Christ who are walking through the world who are forgiven, but they're not free? Because they still have all of this inner woundedness that has never been dealt with. It has never been uncovered and dealt with. It is, and they're not walking free. They're not walking whole. They're walking enslaved into this thing, this, this past. And so there's like, a, as I said before, there's like this chain around their leg that is chaining them to that past hurt and event that they believe must forever stay there, and so the only way I can deal with it is to just act like either it didn't happen, or I just deny it doesn't happen, or I just won't deal with it with anybody, and I'll just keep shoving it down every time it tries to come to the surface. Oh, it will come to the surface many, many times, and so you choose to suffer in silence. Sometimes this happens within the context of a family. Right, And so something tragic happens within the context of the family. And so the family makes a vow together. No one is ever going to know about this. Now what you have just done is you have set up a generational vow that will be passed on from generation to generation. And so the hurt and pain just keeps getting passed on down the line because no one wants to deal with that generational curse. Some of you have become your victims, right? You, some things happen to us are self-inflicted. Some things that happen to us are the result of somebody else. And you were truly a victim of what was done to you, what happened to you. And those of you who are victims and are not seeing justice coming quickly enough... To your abuser or your offender, the lie would, from Satan would be, see, they're getting away with it. You need to do something about that. You need to take action. You need to take matters into your own hands. And so the vow is, you're right. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. And this can even happen in the context of a marriage. 
And so now all of a sudden passive-aggressive behavior begins to come to the surface because really you're trying to pay that person back for the debt that you think they owe you. And it's a, it's a vow that you made. It's a lie that you're believing. I'm going to get vengeance. I'm going to make them pay when, in fact, the Bible teaches us that vengeance is in the hand of the Lord, that God will bring true justice to every single person eventually, although it may not happen in our timetable. What about those of you who have been traumatized by a horrific suffering or grief? Here's the lie. Time heals all wounds. Time doesn't heal anything. Jesus can heal all wounds, but time does not. And so oftentimes that inner vow that might be made within you is, you know what, I've just got to just throw it off and just pull my life together and just move forward because I know eventually time will heal this 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 hurt that is in this pain and all this I'm dealing with inside of myself eventually it'll get better but it doesn't so what I want to talk about in the next few minutes I have is and I know it looks like a laundry list because I'm going to go through these rapidly because I'm just trying to set the context and what we're going to do next week in the, in rounding this kind of segment out dealing with guilt shame and inner vows is we're going to use the issue of forgiveness uh, because unforgiveness is almost always tied to an inner vow that you've made. And so the unforgiveness, the reason you choose not to forgive is because somebody has violated an inner vow that you've made and you're choosing not to respond. Remember, inner vows are more sacred to us than the word of God. Inner vows can become more sacred than God himself and therefore, we choose not to forgive. And look, so we'll flesh all this out in the context of an example that the Apostle Paul gives to us in the, in the book of Ephesians. So here, here's kind of like the laundry list. Um, here we go. Number one is we make inner vows. We're going to talk about the development and the danger and how to dismantle your inner vow. We make inner vows rashly amidst pain. In other words, when you are hurting deeply, you don't think very rationally. Because we tend to allow our, our emotions to govern our lives. That's just being human. Now, it shouldn't be that way, but that's just the way we respond. Now, I might know, I might know intellectually, mentally, this isn't right. I shouldn't feel this way, or this is not how I should respond on the basis of my feelings. But we tend to go with our feelings more than we do sound thinking. Especially when you're hurting and when you are in great pain. And, and so often my reaction is not good and, um, and you're hurting and, and so you're not doing what is necessarily good for you or anyone else. Number two, inner vows are often made at a very young age. We often make a lot of our inner vows early on in, in childhood, all through adolescence and especially in adolescence. Um, and so they, they become really unconscious habits. And these habits are developed out of these inner vows. For example, um, maybe you made a vow as a child. You did something and your parents disciplined you. And, but the discipline was really kind of over the top and it really didn't fit the crime. And so they just kind of responded in a, in a very emotional, maybe, you know, maybe your dad or your mom had anger issues and just exploded all over you, and so you made an inner vow. I'm going to make sure this doesn't happen ever again. And it might be that you as a child, you were cute and funny, and you found out that if you, you got into your role of cuteness and funniness, that your parents would kind of like back down and let you get away with things you normally wouldn't get away with. So that inner vow was, oh, if, I just, if I'm just cute and funny, then I can, I can protect myself from future consequences and future pain. And so now travel into adulthood, into you know, high school. Man, I, I, you ever had somebody in your class that was like the class clown? And oftentimes class clowns are hiding the hurt and the pain based on the inner vow that they've made within themselves, based on that hurt and pain in order as a way to camouflage and to deal with life. Do you know that most stand-up comedians will tell you that they, they enter into that realm of, um, uh, of vocation because of very deep hurt and pain, which is why many, many of them suffer from great bouts of depression? And how many of them have taken their lives because even though they were funny and people were laughing, they weren't laughing on the inside. 
They've made these deep inner vows within themselves, and you can make all kinds of inner vows as a child and not be aware of it until you become an adult and you get married, and then all of a sudden somebody starts pushing the buttons of that inner vow that begins to come to the surface, and now you feel more comfortable you know, expressing it. Not necessarily dealing with it, just expressing it, whether in a healthy or unhealthy way. Number two, or three, is some inner vows become entrenched as generational behaviors. In other words, they become a generation, uh, you know, everybody, generation, generation lives under that vow. So I'm going to pick on ladies, and then I'll pick on the men. I'm going to pick on the men more harshly than the ladies. Ladies, maybe you grew up and, you know, the inner vow was, um, it's passed down from generation to generation. Well, you know, in our family, the women are just very, very opinionated. And I'm going to tell you what, we're going to give you our opinion whether you want it or not. Well, I can tell you, I can assure you that if I pull 100% of men, they're going to want that one revoked. <laughs> so is it, is it necessarily healthy to always be opinionated and just drop it out there without giving it thought, without allowing the Holy Spirit to control what you're about to say? Not according to Scripture. The Bible says, let no unwholesome word comes out of your mouth, that, that there's so much power in our tongues, we have to submit everything under the control of the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes it can create great havoc in a relationship and marriage because um, that's, just the, you know, that's just the way I am. You're just going to have to like it, right? So um, sometimes uh, the generational vow could be wrapped around emotions. Well, you know, every woman in our family is, is, is emotional, or we're all worriers. We know we, my grandmother was a worrier. My mom was a worrier. I'm a worrier. We're just a group of worriers. Well, what does the Bible say about worry? The Bible calls worry sin. <laughs> so what are, we, what are we supposed to do? Just pass that on from generation to generation? Or are we to deal with the issue of sin? Now, to the men, I'm an equal opportunist here. Uh, there are a lot of inner vows for men. For example, um, you may have come from a family where men, like, men in our family never say verbally, I love you. All right? You know, I was, um, let's see how old I was. I was probably in my 40s before the, the first time I ever heard my dad say to me, I love you. This is, this is men just don't do that in our family. All right? That's not necessarily a good thing. You know, our Heavenly Father wants us to know he loves us, and that's why he sent Jesus into the world, right? Or in my family, um, men never say they're sorry, never apologize. Is that healthy? Well, absolutely not. You know, sometimes as a man, you know, you can be having conflict with your wife, and you know, you're, you're like, I'm always going to be right. I'm going to make sure I'm right. I'm going to beat you down until I am right. I'll never apologize. I'll never say that I'm sorry. That is not healthy for any relationship. Or a man may say, I'm sorry, sarcastically. Sorry. All right, well, that's not an apology. That's not really being sorrowful. Or maybe in your family, men just don't hug, right? Or real men don't cry. How many of you heard that one? <laughs> real men don't cry. Nobody cries in our family. You're not allowed to cry. I caught myself saying that to my, my grandchildren. Like, like, there's no crying in grandpa's house. I thought, well, that's not a good thing to say. Right? Jesus cried on many occasions. So these are just some things that can, we can pass from generation to generation if we're not careful. Number four, we make, often make intervals without a deep conscious awareness that we're even doing it. Again, uh, we don't often have an awareness of the interval until... Somebody violates it, and then we become aware. Because, buddy, it's going to come to the surface, and it's going to come rapidly. And for some of you, it may come like a volcano, and you spill out all over everybody. And everybody's stepping back like, what in the world did I say? What, in the, what happened? Well, you violated somebody's inner vow, and they just let it explode. So when you violate somebody's inner vow, oftentimes it's a fight-or-flight response. Sometimes you know you have a deep conscious awareness of your inner vows because you have some kind of, like, for example, inordinate fear can be the result of an inner vow that you've made to yourself very early on in life, and you really don't know why you're afraid of that. Or couples who come to me for counseling, premarital counseling, oftentimes when I, you know, I, I, one of the things I deal with with couples is we got to deal with your emotional baggage. Everybody's bringing an emotional baggage into the, into the relationship. It's just a question of how much. 
So you may be bringing a duffel bag. You may have three suitcases. I don't know, but you're bringing something. And so as I'm going through this and talking about this, it's amazing how many times I will touch on an inner vow somebody has made, usually with the women, because men don't want to cry in front of me, is that all of a sudden tears start just going down their face. And I just stop and say, I've touched on something, haven't I? A, a, A painful event. And almost without exception, yes. Yeah, you have. And I can almost assure you that that pain is tied back to an inner vow that's a part of the baggage she's bringing into the relationship. All right, here's the danger of all this. Inner vows, as I said, can take God's place. Um, this, you know, this, this hurt, you know, it's like I can't trust God. I, I, I need vows. I replaced God with the vows, the inner vow. Uh, you, you listen, you cannot be led by the Spirit of God and be free to walk in God's will if you're going to hold inner vows as more authoritative in your life than God himself. But this is what we often do. We wouldn't acknowledge that. And in fact, if I were to challenge you on that, you would say, oh, no, no, no. No, this inner vow, no. It's all submitted under the lordship of Jesus. Liar. <laughs> Maybe you're not lying intentionally, but you're certainly walking in deception. Because it's amazing how many times we allow uh, our inner vow to take God's place. Number two is we become loyal to the inner vow instead of the Lord. For example, when God says, forgive them, and you say, I will not. And I'm telling you, you will not because it's tied to an inner vow that you've made. That's tied to that unforgiveness. But God says then, for example, Matthew chapter uh, six, when he talks about the, you know, the Lord's Prayer, and he says, you know, forgive those. Um, I forgave you. I know you did, but I'm not forgiving them. Not happening. Do you know what they did? And we, we tell everybody our story. And people then will restate back and say, well, you know, if they done that to me, okay, I get it. I understand it. Yeah, you probably don't need to forgive. And so God would say, no, 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 no. Well, why are you not going to forgive them? Because they hurt me. And Lord would say, well, you hurt me, but I forgave you. See how this battle goes back and forth in our minds? Number three, violating an inner vow often triggers an emotional overreaction. What do you get emotional about? Angry, scared, hurt. Oftentimes these, over, these triggers of um, emotional overreaction tie back to an inner vow. For example, something happens to you or somebody says something to you that just triggers this huge emotional response and you're like, where did that come from? Why am I responding that way? I don't get it. You don't even get it in yourself. Because remember, oftentimes these inner vows are made unconsciously. Well, that's a trigger. That's, that is a, it is a, a signal to you that there's something going on inside that's far more than what you, you come to understand. Number four, we have a hard time not seeing our vows as equal to God's laws. See, this is how people become legalistic, right? You ever been around somebody who's religious but very legalistic? Like the Pharisees, they had all kinds of extra laws, extra fences. All right, so here's what happens. People get hurt, they make an inner vow. They make a response, that inner vow, on the basis of lies, and so now they set up a fence that's going, they think in their mind is going to keep them from experiencing that hurt again. And so they just keep, you get, they get hurt all over again. Another lie, another vow. Hurt, another lie, another vow. Hurt, another lie, never vow. And so now you might be a parent, and you've got all of these rules, 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 rules. It's all about the rules. It's all about keeping the rules. And you have rules that Jesus didn't even die for. And when I first became a believer and I started questioning about some of the rules that the church had, I said, well, why in the world you got that rule? Well, it's just always been a rule. Or well, is that in the Bible? I don't know, but it's always been a rule. <laughs> uh, well, maybe you grew up in a home where you know, the Bible was quoted a lot. But can I tell you, Satan quoted it a lot also. But Satan quoted it to bring confusion, not clarity. When, when Satan quoted the Bible to Adam and Eve, it was to bring confusion, not clarity. When, he's, when he quoted it to Jesus himself, it was to bring confusion, not clarity. My point is simply this. If you keep making inner vows and you start setting up these rules, 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 what happens in a household, even in a Christian household, where there is all rule and little relationship, 
it always results somewhere down the road in rebellion. This is why children rebel oftentimes against their parents. Got all the rules, but you can't explain to me why we got the rules. You know, my youngest daughter, her, her question was always, why? You telling me to do that? Why? Well, if I don't have an explanation, then I'm setting out a rule that, in her mind, had no validity. Now, if you just keep doing that in a legalistic way, then over time, it's like, well, I'm just rebelling against all the rules because I don't think any of them make any sense. We have a whole society like that now. Number five, we punish people who break our inner vows. Again, you can do it in passive-aggressive ways, but some way, somehow, you're going to punish them. And number six, an inner vow opens the door to the enemy, and this is where you give Satan a huge, huge foothold. That develops into a stronghold, and then he has locked his, his teeth into you, and he begins to, to, to manipulate you and to govern and control you like a puppet on a string. Now, the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, this is the way we were pre-Christ, but it should be different now we're post-Jesus, right? That Jesus dwells within us through the person of the Holy Spirit. We should not be falling for these schemes. We should not allow him to have any control. Satan has no more control over your life than what you are willing to give him. Now, I see people who have been through pain, suffering, to hell and back, I've seen Satan convince them of lies, and then they commit themselves to these inner vows. And it, now, through the inner vows, they just keep moving further and further and further away from the Lord, rather than growing closer, closer, and closer to him. Who is, where did this all start? It all started with Satan. He's the one who made the first inner vow. Look at Isaiah chapter 14, the I wills. I will ascend to the most high. I will do this. I will do that. Here was Satan's inner vow. And it was all about himself. It's not about God. It's about himself. He says, I'm going to rule. I'm going to be in charge. I'm going to live independent. I'm going to have my own throne. I'm going to make my own reality. I'm going to set my own identity. I'm going to chart my own destiny. I think Satan was an American. Because this is the mindset of most Americans. I will. I will. I will. I will. Before there were ever human beings, there were angelic beings, and Satan made that inner vow, declared war on God. That war came to earth, and we are now a part of that war. And Satan comes to us via inner vows to say this and say this alone. Live independent of God. Establish your own morality. Live for your own glory. Make yourself the center of your own existence. Our first parents submitted to that, and people have been submitting to it ever since. So let me give you four keys, um, and we'll flesh these out next week, about how to dismantle your inner vow. Number one is you have to uncover the vow, right? you got to uncover it. Now, if this vow came up, and, and you made it maybe when you were a child, you didn't even realize you made it subconsciously, you made it, but just listen to yourself, the phrases. Like if, you, if somebody says something or does something, and there's this huge overreaction, Think about the things, the, the way you say things to yourself. I need, I should, um, I will never, I have been, it will never happen again. Therefore, this is what I will do. All inner vows are basically self-focused, self-serving commitments that in many cases resist and oppose the will of God in your life. And when Holy Spirit challenges you on that, you're finding yourself resisting what, clearly what the Bible says or clearly what the Holy Spirit is convicting you about. You find yourself resisting. That's because you are operating off of an inner vow that is lie-based, that has become more precious to you than even God himself. Great indicator. Number two, unveil the lie. The enemy loves to prey on the places in our hearts that we just don't trust God, where we don't believe that his motive is good or pure. And so he uses parts of our stories where there's pain and abandonment and a rejection that has become our daily bread. And the conclusion is, you know what? God's not who he says he is. And unlike Satan, you know, God doesn't have your, your best interest in mind. And so um, most of the time when God tells us what to do, 
the enemy will ask you questions to undermine that. What is it that Satan did with Adam and Eve in the garden? He just asked them questions. Well, God said this. Well, did he really say that? Did you really have clarity on that? Don't you know that God probably just doesn't want you to be like him? You could be like him. Where God puts a period, Satan always puts a question mark. That's how you know he's toying with you. And he's, he's going to charge in where you have those inner vows. And he's suggesting for something that, let me just give an example. Uh, here's a lie of the enemy to help us manipulate us to have a performance-based mindset to gain the approval of others. Right? So it, in life, um, Satan will say something. You can't just do your best. You must be the best if you want people to like you. So what happens when you tell yourself this over and over again all throughout the course of your lifetime? You've got this overzealous, um, competitive spirit that you're just going to have to beat people down. You've got to win. You've got to be the best. You've got to be the smartest. You've got to be the most talented. You've got to be the most beautiful, and this, this, and this. And then when you find yourself not measuring up to that, you feel horrible about yourself, and Satan comes along now with his lies of condemnation over you, and, and you know, you, then you start comparing yourself with others. This is why young teenage girls, they, they, they get these magazines, they're constantly comparing themselves. They're saying, but I don't measure up. I don't look that beautiful. I don't look that flawless. I, I'm not that smart, and I'm not that talented. I'm not that gifted. Therefore, I must not be anybody. I must be a nobody, and therefore, nobody's going to like me. Because I can't be the best. I can only do my best. See how the subtlety works? Number three, screen your thoughts. Screen your thoughts. You know, um, your mind is the control center of your life. How many of you have been to the airport, TSA, they wield all the power, right? You get up to the little podium, you give them your um, driver's license or passport, and you've got your tickets in your hand, they've got all the power. Right? They, they look at you, they kind of scan you, and, you know, they're, like, checking things off. And often, well, what in the world are they checking? Like, check, check, check. Like, this guy's probably thinking, you know, uh, I really don't want to be here today. I'm just checking, checking, just make it look like I'm checking. But anyway, so you get, and then you go through security. All right, so my last trip through the Columbus airport, I had to go through security. And, you know, you got to step up. You put all your stuff in the little tray. They send it through the x-ray machine. Then, they, you know, I walk through the, into the cylinder and hold my hands up, you know, while they're scanning you. I step out of the cylinder. The TSA guy comes over to me and says, um, you, you need to step over here with me. I need to do a more thorough examination. Now, I did not know what that meant, but... The next thing he says, I, uh, he goes, I want you to know this is going to be pretty evasive. Do you want to go to a private room? I'm thinking to myself, okay, if that's going to be that evasive, then you're going to, I'm going to make you do it in public, buddy. You're going to do it right here, right now. And sure enough, very professional about it. He took the back of his hand. He, he, he went across my body and, and played. I've been married 43 years, and there's places my wife don't even know it exists that he went to. And... It was like a horrible experience, and you know, they take my bags, they start tearing them all apart, and after this is all said and done, I've gone through all of this, I said to him, I said, tell me, what is it that tipped you off that would cause you to pull me out of the crowd, which was, it was a very busy day, and make me go through all of this protocol? And you know what his response was? Yeah, we just take you randomly. Are you kidding me? At least when you got done, you could offer me a cigarette. But anyways, that's just... <laughs> just kidding. My point is, is that when it comes to your thought life, you ought to be like a TSA agent. You need to screen every thought that's coming into your mind. You know, Philippians 4.8, Paul gives us the screening process, whatever's true, what is noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely. You are, rather than just letting stuff come into your mind and lodge there and bed down overnight, 
you need to screen your thoughts because I'm going to tell you these lies that you are believing are, that are attached to your inner vow is what is controlling and having a huge, huge impact upon your emotions. If you want to change your emotions, you have to change the way you think because the way you think always affects the way you feel that affects ultimately the way that you act. Most of us act driven by our emotions, not sound thinking, and therefore the Bible says you must challenge those lies and bring them captive to Christ so that you can screen it and whether or not it is acceptable in your mind. Things like, well, you will never top this success. You've peaked or you'll never escape your past or you'll never achieve your dreams or you don't have what it takes or you're defined by the things that you've been through and you don't deserve anything good and nobody loves you and on and on again, those things that are rolling around in your mind day in and day out, those are the lies that you're believing and your life is always moving in the direction of those unfounded lies. If you don't learn to do that, you will live on those inner vows and you will not experience the freedom that Jesus came to give you. So you capture it, you detain it, you bring it captive to Christ. And here's the last one. Speak declarations over yourself. A declaration is simply pronouncing what God says over you, not what the lie says. God has enabled us to act before we feel ready. We aren't reliant on feelings before we put something into action. I don't care if you feel like making the declaration or not. I don't care if you even believe the declaration. You take the truth of God and you start declaring that over yourself. It's just like God did with Abraham. You're going to be the father of many nations. Okay, God. And then 25 years passes. He and you know Sarah are well beyond childbearing years, but God keeps reiterating the same declaration. This is the truth I want you to believe. This is the truth, but there's no evidence of it, Lord. I don't feel like I can be a father. I, I don't feel like this is going to happen, but this is the declaration I'm making over you. What did God do? He fulfilled the declaration. I'm simply saying this. If you want to dismantle these inner vows that you've made with yourself, you need to acknowledge what the vow is, unearth the lie, attack the lie with God's truth, and make that a statement of declaration that you declare over yourself in the name of Jesus, this is what God says. And then over time, your mind will start moving in the direction of those declarations, your emotions will begin to align themselves with those declarations, and then your life will start going in the direction that God declares over you. It's a process. It's a lifelong process. But it is a process we must put into place if you want to walk free in Christ. Let's bow our heads together. Now, I don't know all the hurt, the pain, the agony that you have perhaps been through in your life. I know many of you, and I know many of the things that you've encountered and endured. That's not even the issue this morning. The issue is, what is it that Holy Spirit is bringing up into your heart right now that says, this is an issue for you? This is an inner vow that you have made. Acknowledge it. Dig out the lie. Replace it with truth. Screen your thoughts. And start declaring the truth over your life that you might live in it, that your emotions might come in alignment with it, that you might begin acting it out. What are those for you? Please, please, please do not leave here until you've taken the time to at least jot those down that maybe God has revealed to you here this morning, just in this time that we've had together. But can I encourage you to continue this process? You want to unearth these inner vows. Look for those areas of your life where there's overreaction, where there is... Um, unsound thinking, where you are challenged by God's word or by the Holy Spirit, and yet you find yourself negating what God has to say or what God is doing in your heart in that moment because the inner vow has become more precious. 
Look for those areas. Root them out. Because God has adorned you with a robe of righteousness. He does not want you wearing the robe of accusation, the robe of condemnation. But he has covered you in the blood of Jesus to remove all of your guilt, all of your shame, and every reason that you have to live by inner vows that can become so, so destructive. And if nothing else, they give Satan a foothold into your life, but he never stops with a foothold. He always takes it as far as he can. So, Father, we, we thank you and praise you that you do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. I pray for every person here this morning, everyone who's watching online, Father, that there would be the dismantling of these inner vows, these mental strongholds that have been erected in our lives that are governing and controlling us and controlling our reactions and overreactions that are keeping us pinned into depression and self-condemnation and just a self-loathing that happens when we feel like we don't measure up and we're not the best and others have better than us and more than us and life is easier than us. Lord, all of these things that the enemy leverages against us, Father, we count them null and void in Jesus This is not the life Christ came to give us. And so we thank you, Father, that there is a life that is far beyond the life that we're now living, where we don't have to try to self-medicate through addictions, but, Lord, we can walk and rest in the fullness of Jesus and walk and rest in the promises that he has made to us and walk and rest in the way that he can equip us to handle what life brings down our pathway. So we thank you that he is our shepherd, and we shall not want for anything as we follow him and trust him and submit ourselves to him. And for that, oh God, we thank you that you have given to us far more than we could ever think, ask, or even imagine because of the depth of your love for every single one of us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you. Amen. Well, that concludes our service this morning. So those of you who are online, thank you for tuning in with us. We hope to see you back next week. We're going to talk about one key element, the element of forgiveness that really ties all of this together. And so we're going to learn how to dismantle that stronghold in our lives and to walk in the victory of Jesus even deeper than we have here this morning. So God bless you. Have a great and wonderful week. We'll see you back next Sunday.